I'm Kira Brokurek. I'm Nicole Breeden. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Yandel Welton is in the studio with us. Yandel's practice investigates impermanence of life, addressing the relationships between nature and mortality through environmental, political, and social experiences. Through creating immersive works that connect to the viewer, she aims to engage and inspire action from individuals towards a collective consciousness with an ever-changing and increasingly damaged planet. Using technology to highlight the ephemeral nature of our existence, her works often utilise projection and architectural spaces to blur the, the distinction between the actual and the virtual. Yandel has exhibited regularly in non-traditional and public spaces, both in Australia and internationally. In 2015, she completed a Masters of Fine Arts at the Victorian College of the Arts. Recent public art commissions include Departed in regional New South Wales, where she worked with 3D scanning technology to create public engagement project, Absent Presence in Townsville in an interactive public artwork, and Transition in Melbourne, a public art intervention. In early 2018, she undertook a residency at Fassmed Studio in Berlin, awarded by the Victorian College of the Arts. During this residency, she focused on learning new skills to bring concepts to life with innovative 3D scanning and printing technology. Her work has been part of Art Plus Climate Equals Change Festival, Light City Baltimore, Digital Graffiti Florida, Experimenter Speak to Me, both in Melbourne and Brisbane, Public Festival Burp in Perth, Melbourne Festival, Vivid Festival in Sydney, ISEA, which is the International Symposium of Electronic Art, and White Night Festival in Melbourne. Thank you so much, Yandel, for joining us. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, So we'll kick off the ball with asking, um, how did you get to where you are today and what has been the the story of your practice so far? Yeah, well, I suppose, um, firstly, if you're looking at uh, my history, um, firstly, my bringing bringing up, I I suppose. Mm. Um, So I was inspired by a lot of people around me. Um, I was always being encouraged to take um, the career path of an artist. Um, So back when I was growing up in the the 80s, my mum was um, a publisher um, and ran street press. So we had mm. a lot of um, creative people around. So a lot of um, musicians, performers, um, comedians, artists. Um, so yeah, I always felt like um, when you know when I was young, I'm talking you know um, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know I had a lot of um, creative people around me. I always felt like I could uh, choose that as a career path. And I, was, and I was also really, really encouraged by those people. So they were very big in my life. Mum was a single mum and um, she relied on her friends a lot to look after us. And so, you know, we were um, around these people a lot, uh, me and my sister. So, um, yeah. Was there any kind of, um, kind of moment where you sort of went from having or being in that kind of like really creative environment and community where you where you just sort of had that moment of being like I am going to be an artist or I am going to pursue um the arts as more formally or was it just kind of like a a long process of like you just kind of you know ended up there yeah I can't remember um I can't remember being young and thinking that I just felt like I was just very drawn to um, drawing and um, being creative and I didn't think it was any different to Mm -hmm. any other uh, career path, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. And then I suppose when I grew up, I understood that it was uh, a bit different to um, choose that as a career path. Mm. Um, But when I was a teenager, um, I I mean, the other major thing um, I suppose is um, art was a very... Art was an outlet uh, that really saved me when I was going through trauma as a young person. Mm. So um, I kind of had to do it. It was the only way that I could express um, uh, very intense emotions, I suppose. Um, I felt like I couldn't really express them verbally. Uh, So through my art, I could really have an outlet. Um, And then 
uh, I suppose after that, so I was, you know, a teenager at that time and then you know um you kind of you are considering what you can do you know where, where you're going to go what you're going to be all that sort of stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. um and um yeah I mean a, a, a very close person um in my life passed away um in a really sort of sudden you know full-on accident um mm. and I found it really difficult and I feel like um art really helped me deal with that and that you know those ideas of around death and mortality uh concepts that I were drawn to throughout my practice even mm. sort of to now mm-hmm. yeah mm. so there was a time uh when yeah I think it was year um 10 I think I sort of um was struggling a lot and uh, I left I left high school and I came down to Melbourne uh, my sister was living back down here um because I, I had been in far north Queensland um I came down to Melbourne and I remember visiting uh, all the art galleries, you know, NGV, you know, all the large sort of art galleries and really kind of contemplating on, you know, if I really did want to be an artist, would I need to go to university to study? If I needed to go to university to study, I have to go back to high school. Mm. So it was then I went back to Cairns, back to far north Queensland. I had... um, a meeting with the principal at the school that I was expelled from and and just asked them if I could come back and do their CAD course, which was a an art sort of program mm. for year 11 and 12, um, which was like 15 periods of art a week. And that's wow. when I kind of, oh, it's when I kind of was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and I'm going to make this happen. And, um, yeah, I, I did it. Mm-hmm. And then where did you, so did you go on from when you finished high school to study um, at a tertiary level straight away or? Yeah. Yeah. And whereabouts yeah. did you? Yeah, I think because I had that year off um, in, yeah, year 10 or it was, yeah, it must have been the start of year 11 or end of year 10. I can't remember. Um yeah, and I had that year off. So when I went back and was very committed to mm. um, this career as an artist, I yeah chose to do that year 11 and 12 and um, do the best I can and then um, mm. apply for mm-hmm. university here in Melbourne mm. because um, I had grown up earlier mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and had, um, yeah, connections here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then from when you were studying, did you start exhibiting straight away or um, did you take some time off to follow other pursuits or were you straight into seeming, it sounds like you're already so committed to building a practice? Yeah, I was I was very young. I was only 18, but I was extremely committed. Um, and I remember, um, yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, it's so long ago. Also back then, um, you had sort of three disciplines that you uh, could choose between, and they were very—they um, weren't very cross-disciplinary. Mm-hmm. So I—I um, I was never really good at drawing, actually, um, but I expressed myself a lot and uh, through maybe um, using sort of uh, photographic techniques, whether um, they were even yeah non-traditional sort of photographic techniques mm-hmm. and I remember um uh, choosing printmaking mm-hmm. as my um discipline and um kind of uh using non-traditional sort of oh using photographic printmaking photographic techniques that weren't very big back then mm-hmm. um we also didn't uh learn you know um computer you know computers at all so we weren't you know using photoshop or anything Mm -hmm. back then Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting Mm. um i remember probably second third year yeah just always really striving to um uh do better and better and if there was any um kind of uh group exhibitions that i could you know put work in i was always Mm. you know applying for Mm -hmm. those um, and, you know, small grants through university, through the university, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That was always, mm-hmm. you know, very, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always putting in applications. Mm. And then, um, I really wanted to do honours at RMIT because they had, uh, in their printmaking department, they had a lot of female printmakers mm-hmm. um, as lecturers and I was really drawn to their practice. They were, they were sort of pushing the boundaries of printmaking a lot more than traditional sort of um, etchings and lithographs. I felt like a lot of um, 
the printmakers were doing more spatial mm. um, mm-hmm. kind of installations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I applied for the honours at um, RMIT and I didn't get in. Mm. And I was really upset. And then I had a year off and went overseas to London and came back and applied again and didn't get in again. And I remember just knocking on the um, head of departments, going going up to the head of, head of departments uh, <laughs> at RMIT. office at RMIT. I won't say who, whose office it was. And I was yeah. like, knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Um, hi, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can I come in and have a chat? Mm-hmm. And she was kind of like, oh, I'm actually really busy. I said, I'm sure you've got five minutes and just sort of came in and sat down <laughs> in, the, in the nicest possible way, but very, very forceful. Like, mm-hmm. I can't believe I even did that. Like, mm-hmm. I remember my, my, one of my best friends, Joe Wilson, who's been awesome, I think she dropped me off, actually, and I remember having really full-on butterflies, but I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like, what have I got to lose? This yeah. is the second time they've mm-hmm. said no. Why mm-hmm. would they say no? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I'm losing it. Anyway, so I went in there. And um, she basically said, you know, we've had to offer um, the small amount of places that we've got to students that have gone through RMIT first. Mm. I was like, sure. What can I do? I'm happy to find money, (laughs) like Mm. whatever, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know. But really, I'm really glad that I sort of did that. It really showed my initiative Mm -hmm. um, and my passion and my drive because Mm -hmm. two Mm -hmm. weeks later, Mm -hmm. yeah, she called and said that one of the people didn't take the places, so they're offering it to me. So I ended up going there Mm. for my honours year and um, a master's by coursework. Yeah. So I spent three years there and I remember buying um, a whole lot of uh, uh, copper for etching and lino for um, for prints to to make prints, mm, mm. and um, they were fantastic. They really just um, told me not to bother and to pursue <laughs> to pursue my photo media um, in yeah. a more you know mm, contemporary yeah. kind of way and. Um, yeah, mm. not to necessarily make prints, yeah, traditional yeah. prints out yeah. of it, which then led to, yeah, yeah. using so the lens. What was the point uh, where you sort of started um, kind of uh, maybe going from like f- photography as a medium to kind of jumping into like projection or like, you know. You, public spaces. Yeah, pu- public spaces, but also like di- digital rather than mm-hmm. so mm. much like the analogue. So yeah. you're still using the lens, but like stepping through into that kind of digital. Yeah. Medium. So it was definitely at that point, um, um, yeah, all the lecturers at RMIT really encouraging me to um, pursue photo media rather than photographic techniques within mm. the printmaking discipline. So um, I started really exploring uh, photo media uh, through a lens, which, you know, even if it was a still lens, phot- photographic lens, um I picked up my first video camera, though, you know, it was quite accessible, didn't cost that much. I think I got one second hand. Um, and I kind of, so I was pushing this, you know, these these works into more of a spatial context mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So in more installation, um, using multiple screens. And then that just progressed into proje- you know, using projection. So projecting the video, the moving mm-hmm. image. Um, and as soon as I did that, I knew that this was where I wanted to go with my work. Mm. Like I was really interested in how um, the, uh, you know, how spatial, mm-hmm. how spatial the works could be. Um, you're really integrating actual space with the, the virtual and also the layering. It was almost like even back, if I think about it, all my traditional prints mm. had so many layers mm. and then even the, the, then the photo media stuff had so many layers and then all of a sudden I'm dealing with, actual architectural space and mm-hmm. layering mm-hmm. imagery over the mm-hmm. top of that. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of my work is very site responsive too. Like these spaces mean something. They are conceptually uh, related to, mm-hmm. the, you mm-hmm. know, the overall mm-hmm. work. Is that, um, or is that kind of the point as well where you kind of started putting work into the public space and um, activating architecture in through your work? Or were you still um, projecting in gallery environments and creating work to be situated within the gallery? Um, it all happened pretty quick in terms of, um, well, I mean, I was still in, I was still at university, so I didn't have a lot of gallery exhibitions or, yeah, I mean, working, 
very spatially within, you know, the gallery. Mm. But I think as soon as I started working with projection, it was very quick that I was kind of looking at architecture from the inside and the outside. Mm -hmm. So whether, you know, maybe projecting from the inside, but you're viewing it from the outside. Um, I use the window a lot as a motive for this idea of um, a psychological space inside, Mm -hmm. outside. Mm -hmm. So the viewers Mm -hmm. outside the you know, a, a projected figure is trying to get out of the window or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty quick that I was working with public space. Mm. I think I um, I did a project for Next Wave when I was a, a, a yeah, a young artist that um, was a public artwork that mm. was u- utilising one of the big windows in the Nicholas building. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a significant public yeah. artwork yeah. that was supported by Next Wave. So it was, um, I had time to develop that. That's such a great way that you had the support of Next Wave because often making that transition from a um, the gallery environment into the public environment um, or spaces outside of the gallery is um, it's a hard transition to do and often isn't taught at university and or like those resources mm. aren't made available in the same way that you're kind of expected to go into like a traditional gallery environment and show work that hangs on a wall so making that um transition through having the support of next wave i think nicole had a similar experience where her first um public work was through next wave and the support of facilitating and um just opening up those kind of pathways you know mm, there is, there how is, do you there work is with documented you know, pathway that goes from universities into galleries but less so into the kind of public yeah, realm so i agree yeah and um the Gertrude's uh, being, I was feature artist in 20, uh, 2009 um, for the Gertrude Street Projection Festival, which was the second year that that mm. was ever uh, happening. I'm very involved now, as mm-hmm. you both probably know. Um, but yeah, I was, um, yeah, quite a young artist. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't actually produced that many public artworks um, or, or with that much sort of equipment or technology access to, you know, really big, bright projectors. And Mm. I remember um, being awarded the feature artist for that second year and having access to a massive projector Mm. and technical support. And, you know, like I was so new to the technology really. Um, Mm. And it wasn't wasn't so available either, I suppose, as it is today. Well, the technology was new itself. Yeah. Mm. Um, And that was fantastic. And, you know, I did a massive projection that was, you know, it was just a shadow projection actually replicating what was existing in the space but then introducing these other shadows to kind of... um, Mm. uh, yeah, represent a kind of psychological space almost, mm-hmm. which was really subtle but really obvious as well. It was a beautiful work, but that needed a massive projector. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the f- so that was the first time I sort of did a, a large sort of um, public artwork, I think, that mm. was very supported mm-hmm. technically. Mm-hmm. That's so fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Um, just going back to what Kira said about um, the sort of development of technology. Um, I think we've, I mean, yeah, the three of us have all kind of been practising throughout that that really interesting kind of point in history where technology has become such an integrated part of our practices. Yeah. Have you, I mean, you know, have you seen a real um, change in the kind of landscape of what, what is um, being made today in terms of like the, well, the, the accessibility of like technology? Do you think that's kind of changing the way that artists are kind of making work now or definitely I think um I think uh mainly the accessibility um of uh like you know the smartphone Uh and people I I feel like that is the most obvious for me artists really tapping into what is accessible to them in their in you know on their person right now and Mm -hmm. creating work I mean the um iPhone I I did a residency in Berlin last year and didn't take my digital SLR. I um, documented all the work that I kind of um, uh, was testing or uh, projecting there, large-scale projections, and I filmed, like, I documented it all on the iPhone, and it looked fantastic. Mm. It's just like, oh, my God, you know, it's crazy. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. You know, uh, like, just thinking about what we kind of had access to you know, 20 years ago, it was clunky, 
you know, uh-huh. <laughs> clunky. Expensive. Video, ex- expensive, clunky video cameras that you needed tapes in there. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's like, wow, how can you just have your personal phone? <laughs> yeah, and that you can edit it, on the phone edit, as well. Yeah. It's not, you need, don't need an editing suite. You don't need mm. to or physically go into a place and cut tape and all of those things that used to have to happen to create those works. So there's, yeah, the, the, yeah, the way contemporary artists... Um, are utilizing technology is really interesting, and it's really it's really obvious the change for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after moving into these realms, um, when was the point where you decided to go back and because you studied your masters as well? Um, was that at a point where you felt like you needed to reconnect with your practice in a certain way or explore a different theme, or how did that come about? Yeah, good question. Um, I so I was probably uh, practicing. I don't know the timeline, maybe eight or ten years. Mm. Like, um, so basically that was, um, you know, pinpointing uh, sort of concepts and ideas, working out where to find uh, funding, mm-hmm. um, applying for the grants. If I am getting funded, I can do the project. If I don't get funded, I can work out if I can still do it or not do it. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, you know, a lot of, a lot of admin. And I felt like... I actually felt like I started to um, come up with ideas that were like potentially fitting criteria, and then I was like, "Well, that's not that's not the way it should be working. Mm-hmm. I should not be thinking about ideas or reworking existing ideas to fit certain criteria." I got worried that my practice was not necessarily um, my practice. If you know mm, what I mean, mm, it was yeah. more ticking yeah. boxes. Yeah, yeah. And so filling briefs and yeah, kind of and hitting those hitting those sort of like selection criteria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I um, thought that it would be a really positive step to take two years off applying for anything and doing and do a research project um, at VCA in the masters. Mm. Yeah. So and you know they offered scholarships that you could apply for back then, probably mm. more readily available than now. Mm. And I just thought that would that would be a, a really beneficial um, way to recalibrate and do a research project and then, yeah, not be thinking about the criteria. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was fantastic. It was really great. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Also, I do work project to project, you know, as an artist, I am project to project to project. <laughs> Very rarely have studio time to... Um, you know, kind of reflect and develop and research. Mm. So that two years was really about mm, mm-hmm. researching and having time mm. to reflect. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's a real shame that those scholarships aren't as readily available. At yeah, at, yeah. I mean, that was fantastic because oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't but, have done it probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's kind of um, as much as the facilities of a university that uh, having the time is yeah. such a huge thing because we are often so like yeah balancing projects balancing life balancing day jobs so it um yeah it's a real shame they aren't available at the moment um in that what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome to kind of continue maintaining this very strong practice and um in terms of your commitment and also like your um your output is I'm always astounded with how many projects you have on the go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the main challenges are always how to fund projects mm. for me, for sure, um, especially because I am using new technologies um, and, and expensive equipment. Um, but in saying that, I have always put my practice first. So um, I, you know... For, for years and years and years I have worked other jobs and stuff like that to and then you know poured all the money back into my practice um, to make things happen putting everything on the line like mm-hmm. that's just kind of still how it is now mm-hmm. um, so yeah definitely to fund what else oh I, yeah I mean the way I choose to live is also really conducive to my arts practice. So 10 years ago, I took on um, two warehouses that were next to each other in Collingwood. Um, It was really run down warehouse, really cheap, Um, signed a long lease. And one of them um, I live in and the other I made studios uh, for other artists. So I've always got a really great community around me. 
Um, but it helped because um, the you know the rent from the studios helped subsidise the mm. large space that I had. So I've you know I've I've made you know there's still a sacrifice. It's an awesome space, but mm. it is still a sacrifice to live in a warehouse, mm-hmm. even though I love mm-hmm. it. You know, it's cold. It's dusty and uh-huh. you know no illegal yeah. <laughs> you know you probably still could get kicked out yeah anyway you know all these sort of things um but it is so conducive to making mm. art being creative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know i have the space to set things up i mm-hmm. have the space to do shoots all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff so mm. and i've got you know creative people around without having to live in a share house mm. yeah <laughs> Just close the door. <laughs> Just close the door, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think my whole, yeah, it's, there's there's a lot of challenges, but I suppose, I yeah, my whole life has been about being Making an artist. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, in, yeah. Um, so talking about, talking about your um, practice in, in your warehouse, like what does a, what does a successful practice mean, uh, mean to you? Um. For me, success comes with creating works that speak to a broad audience, actually. Um, yeah, I'm not making the work for me. I'm hoping to connect to the viewer. Mm. Um, also, I suppose another big thing for me about um, being, you know, a, having a successful practice is um, pushing the boundaries of my work. So constantly working with new technologies or working uh, with, you know, different people to um, create, uh, work, you know, new works that are really pushing the boundaries of um, past works. Um, yeah, taking risks. Um, yeah, working with new technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've always known you to be um, an artist that does that does really kind of push that sort of edge of what's kind of coming out in terms of technology. Um, but you also um, you also are someone that uh, kind of pushes themselves uh, in terms of learning new skills and um, learning to use new kind of technologies and and even old technologies, but like integrating those kind of things into. Um, your practice, um, if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I suppose I don't um, necessarily strive to learn about new technologies. I feel like if I have, I'm drawn, I am drawn to working with new technology. Mm. I'm not sure exactly why, Um, but um, I think more so I'm interested in learning about um, uh, the technologies so I understand the limitations and possibilities. So, for example, um, I had an idea to create this sort of life-size 3D printed figure for a work that's really, um, that's, a, that's a, a print of a scanned figure, but it, the scanning's through um, mobile, like sort of mobile scanning technology. So mm-hmm. it's really sort of lo-fi. So um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of breakdown of data, which mm-hmm. for me is like this sort of, degradation effects of the mobile scanning technology the the sort of breakdown mm. and I'm wanting to print these which mm. obviously that's very difficult because they're not a proper mesh to mm. print mm-hmm. so I'm kind of pushing the boundaries mm. of mm. this I'm not using it as a fabrication mm. tool mm-hmm. you know I'm not using the printer as you know a printing sort of a fa- you know fabrication yeah. tool I'm using it as a creative tool um uh and yeah, I don't know why I sort of chose to do that. So it was really that you're actually using printing as like a from a printmaking practice again. Like it's oh. you know, these <laughs> integrating it back like, into your practice. Do you think? But it's not really printmaking, is it? But, it's more like sculpture. But, but then it's like it, not. But it is. It's layers. Yeah, I know. It's, it's so of, interesting. And because I think it's interesting how sometimes I still, if people ask me what I do, I kind of give my little like spiel. But then. I also kind of, I will always say I came through it from a painting background or I studied painting because mm. I still think of my practice within a, like, a painting history or that the the way that I approach making performances often comes from the lens of a painter. So I think that, you know, it's interesting to see that there's these links that kind of still yeah. come up and even though it's just, you know, using the word printing, but there is these things of layering and yeah. um, physically augmenting the 
the process of mm. what the printer's capabilities are. Yeah. Which is kind of feeds back into what you're saying earlier about like expanding the printmaking yeah. practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also probably could have worked with someone uh, like a designer that could help make the meshes perfect and I could have maybe even potentially sent away these scans to be printed mm -hmm. life-size mm -hmm. potentially. Like there mm -hmm. would have been a way mm -hmm. that I could have worked correctly with the, <laughs> with the technology <laughs> to make this life-size figure but I've decided to, yeah, you know, when, when I was in Berlin doing the residency at FASMID, um, I, uh, yeah, was learning about sort of 3D printing there and really trying to understand the limitations and possibilities mm. and there's so many it's so frustrating actually um but it's yeah this you know this sculpture will be really interesting because i've yeah i've been i've pushed I've pushed yeah. the boundaries of that technology yeah. i suppose yeah, absolutely so during your process using these new technologies um also like facilitating studio spaces for people and expanding your own practice, what have you found to be some of the biggest resources that have assisted you um, in your practice? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I feel like um, I feel like one. I feel like now one of my biggest resources is my partner Lauren Dunn, mm. who is also an artist, because we can discuss. Mm -hmm. our individual works, flesh it out um, without judgment or, um, you know, like, yeah, without sort of, with, with total, you know, with total respect and without yeah. judgment, mm -hmm. um, which is so fantastic. Like mm -hmm. you guys probably know that because you're both artists and I feel like as an artist you are so in your head, you know, you're constantly thinking of these ideas you're fleshing them out you're researching you're doing all this stuff and unless you're in um, an institutional hat or seek out um you know uh, uh seek out you're like a mentor or something to get feedback yeah or mm. a group mm -hmm. or if you're going to a reading group mm. or you know yeah. You're, yeah. you're having shoots with mm -hmm. your studio mates or yes. stuff like that which sure that can happen it you know if you don't have that you are really in your head and if your partner's not an artist, they probably don't want to hear about everything all the time. But if they're an artist, they understand. Yeah, yeah. they might still not want to hear, but at least they, they, they have to hear because you have to hear them. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I really think that um, that is, you know, an incredible resource mm -hmm. um, always. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what does your kind of day-to-day -day, um look like um what and what does your how does your practice fit in around that or a week yeah so yeah I suppose if you're talking about day-to-day -day, um mm. you know I would um walk the dogs have breakfast and a coffee generally with my partner because mm -hmm. she's an artist as well um talk about what we're going to do for the day and then um have studio time um, creating or admin or, you know, mm. whatever is on the cards. In Do you terms make of... it because your studio is often in the same places where you live, but mm -hmm. sometimes you utilise other spaces. Do you have to make a conscious moment where you like walk over into the other part of the space or is it kind of you're constantly flowing between the, you know, the living space and the working or space? Or is it a time... That's, sort of thing? Yeah, that's a really mm. good question. I have always, always lived in these sort of weird spaces like yeah. a lot of um warehouse spaces that my studio is in the same space and I would never really stop working mm. um it's only been more recently where me and my partner have really decided to um have time off like mm -hmm. proper time off so you know when we're walking the dogs and when we're cooking the dinners mm -hmm. um and really separating um ourselves from our practice um and it's really important to do that, to have that time, I think. Um, so, but it, when I'm doing studio time, I quite like, cause I love um, multitasking. So I really quite like, you know, having an like having an application open that I'm writing. Mm. Plus, you know, there's a shoot set up over there that I'm kind of playing around with. Plus, 
I've just wow. left the dishes from breakfast because I want I want to do them when I'm having a break at about eleven. <laughs> then, yeah. You know, like I am really ah. I'm good at that sort of stuff, mm, um, and I kind of like that. It, it gives yeah. me energy mm. multitasking like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't get freaked out by it in the head. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. get more done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Mm. And so obviously from that, you don't really have a separation between like, you know, I do my admin first and keep it separate from this. It's just all. No. But in terms of my practice overall, I feel Mm -hmm. like admin is 50% of my practice Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, as I said before, I work with technology. I mean, you know, I'm not an artist that is necessarily having gallery exhibitions and selling work to, um, to, uh, you know, pay pay for projects. Mm -hmm. I quite often have to secure um, commissions or grants to make these projects happen. So a lot of effort has to go into grant writing yeah, <laughs> or I've proposal a, writing. Mm-hmm. Privilege to view some of your applications or proposals for, um, for different um, works. And I, I remember the first time I saw one, I was just so astounded at how um, beautifully put together it was, but also how researched it was. And um, the level, because you're often kind of pitching towards um, a festival environment or, a, um, you know, a, an organisation. And how did you learn about that process of applying and how to put together a document that is really succinct and also, like, shows all these different parts of practice because often within the kind of gallery environment you get told, like, a PDF with, you know, one page PDF with your bio, your statement and what, like what we're going to see in the gallery Mm. space and 10 images. Mm. And when I first saw one of your packages, I was like, this is amazing. It's so much more than that. Yeah. Mm. I think, um, I think, um, I've asked for help a lot. Mm. Like I even remember back in the day, Nicole, even sending through some help for an application I did. I kind of remember what it was. Mm. Like I've asked a lot of people for a lot of help. I don't even remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember getting help from you at some point for something Mm. like, and you know, I'll take that all on and all the, you know, if it's a large scale public art commission um, that's site specific, that is you know, that you've been shortlisted for and they pay you $3,000 to then put together a proposal that's going to be mm. a lot more extensive than, mm. you know, another proposal mm. that, you know, or, or you know, funding from Creative Victoria or OZCO that gives you, you know, very small um, amounts of words yeah. to respond to things and, you know, you're not making... seven characters or less. Ridiculous. Like, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, um, kind of good, kind of not. Um, yeah, so, and I think getting to that, stage those extensive um those extensive proposals I, yeah mm. I always ask for a lot of help too and I also um was on a, pa- a selection panel for the Laughing Waters residency mm. in Eltham um I did that residency and then they asked me I think the following year to be on the selection panel and I remember reading through all the applications and thinking how m- most of them were so badly written yeah. that I couldn't understand visually what mm. people were talking about yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So that was really helpful yeah. to then be able to articulate and, uh, you know, my projects mm-hmm. and also um, how important visual, you know, visual, visual mock-ups yeah. were and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was really beneficial. And that was when I was quite young too. So mm. I remember that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. So do you have a do you have an actual discrete time that's sort of, sort of like tools down then in your day where you're like, no, it's time, you know, is that a, is that a kind of actual time or is it like a thing of like... No, not, not so rigid, um, mm. but definitely it's really important uh, that we have um, family time with the dogs in the morning and then family time at night with beautiful cooking mm-hmm. and food. But that also could be a glass of wine talking about our projects mm-hmm. in the courtyard. Like mm-hmm. totally, it's not so... Rigid, uh, you know, being an artist, you're always actually an artist, aren't you? You mm-hmm. all are always thinking. It's not down. To, like, you know, you might be out of your studio, but you're still yeah. thinking. Yeah, but it's, yeah, trying to get away from the computer. or. Mm. But, I mean, at the moment I'm producing uh, a work for um, Shifting Surrounds, which is um, a major solo exhibition at the substation this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the works, um, hopefully it... Um, all turns out mm-hmm. but one of the works is actually um shooting on location mm. um every night at sunset and i need to um film 
like at least 12 nights, but that could actually be 24 because it might mm. not work, blah, 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 sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, so, and at the moment, um, that is between eight and nine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's quite disruptive, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that might only just you know be for this month. So it's not totally rigid, but yeah, it's really about definitely having downtime um, and not working yeah, 24-7 mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when these projects do arise, like, you know, the Gertrude Street Projection Festival or projects, you know, that are outside that are using projection, you are there till mm-hmm. really late. You're there testing. Mm-hmm. You're there over and over and over every night. You're there every night when the exhibition's on, making sure it turned on. I know. And I recently did a, like last year, a projection project and I was so paranoid that I would like be up at like 4 a.m., just to like make sure do a drive by to make sure the projectors are all still in the right yeah. spot. Nothing happened overnight that they did turn off. Oh, and then it's making... raining. Oh my god! Yeah. Maybe they're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the story of my life. Well, so like um, you know, I guess like scheduling, you know, projectors and equipment that can do scheduling has yeah. probably been a really you know important facet that, or development. Yeah. Know, for you. Oh, like, totally. Especially yeah. public artwork. Um, mm-hmm. using yeah projectors. Yeah, the you know all the some of the new um, some of the new um, projectors yeah have scheduler settings in there so you don't have to rely on other outsource other technology mm-hmm. to try and turn projectors on and off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, um, with the Gertrude Street Projection Festival, we would definitely be going up and down the street. Um, turning things on that hadn't turned on mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah the technology wasn't. Wasn't they? As as advanced, mm, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, going back to sort of what you're saying before about you know family time, um, is there any? Do you have any kind of like uh, adjacent practice that you kind of have to make sure that you maintain to sort of like stay, you know, at the top of your game or kind of being able to have a sustainable practice? That's something that you kind of keep going, like mm. exercise or anything like that, or whatever it may be. Mm, no, not. I mean, just really. Um, uh, you know what, like walking with a dog down mm. on you know beautiful areas down like Dyke Falls and Studley Park and stuff like that, and that's extensive. You know that might be one or two hours a day, depending. Um, and that's more recent. Um, you know we have had a dog for a year and a half now, and I yeah, it's really obvious to see that difference. Um, you know, not just getting up and getting straight into it. It's like mm-hmm. no, no, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. have some time. And then, yeah. yeah, there's so much incorporated in that too, like fresh air, sunshine, yeah. you know, nature. Totally. Mm-hmm. It sounds like your days are so filled with your practice. Do you have to work um, on the side, or do you? Um, obviously, there's been times where you are funded through your projects, but um, do you have a certain way or certain jobs that you try to go for so that you can be focusing more on your practice? Mm. Or how does that work for you? Yeah, I think um, apart from my practice uh, for quite a few years now, um, I have been um, teaching in the form of sort of masterclasses, mm-hmm. um, um, workshops, even one-on-one mentoring, um, all really focused on projection art. So I kind of see it as an extension of my practice. It's not really separate. Yeah, yeah um, I've worked, you know, uh, with a, a diverse um, range of people too so everything from um, you know y- youth young people which I love I love doing um, workshops with young people um, in collaboration with groups from refugee backgrounds local indigenous community um, in uh, city of Yarra the parkies um, who else like yeah number of projects one-on-one mentoring which is really beneficial and mm. rewarding um, I do a lot of projects at Signal um, in the city of Melbourne. Um, so, you know, there's a handful of these sort of projects a year that, yeah. um, you know, pay well. They're really rewarding. It can, you know, I can sort of go in and um, focus on those projects and then, you know, free up some time for my own projects with mm. some, some money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and um, apart from that, I am uh, on the multimedia team at National Gallery of Victoria, mm-hmm. where I am employed casu- casually. So when, you know, I've got time yeah. and they need me, which has been awesome. That's been for quite a few years now as well. That has been amazing. It's so great being around um, all the art. But being on the multimedia team, I'm constantly learning 
about the new technology, ways mm. of ways of um, presenting works with technology. So that obviously benefits my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, so it's really yeah, it's really beneficial. So that's been good. Um, yeah, as a as a sort of uh, workshop facilitator and somebody who has acted a lot as a mentor to various people, me included, um, I think so anyway. I like to think of you Yay. that way. But, um, <laughs> what uh, what advice would you sort of give like a young uh, artist that's kind of starting out, um, you know, right at the beginning of their practice now? Definitely determination. Yeah. So just to. Um, yeah, don't stop. Um, also, like I said earlier, I think um, to take every opportunity then that they can. So, um, especially if they're ve- you know very young and their CVs are you know they don't have many things on their CVs, look for smaller things. I think so. I remember you know applying for small residencies and small grants, like even university grants for five hundred dollars and stuff like mm. that. Um, it's a lot easier to get larger things, <laughs> larger mm. grants, larger residencies when you've already been awarded. Um, so yeah. And yeah, just don't stop determination. Mm. Also, um, funding through local councils are great. Yeah. Um, I feel like, uh, and a lot more accessible potentially. Mm-hmm. They've got small grants. A lot of them, they've got sh- quick response mm. grants. Mm-hmm. Often you can go in and speak to a grants officer yeah. as well, which is really mm-hmm. handy, which mm-hmm. you might not be able to, I mean, you can call up Osco, but it's not the same as actually being able to go and speak to someone. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I will also wanted to, oh, mention no matter what people are saying about the state of arts funding still put in the applications mm. you know even if you're not if you don't if you're not su- successful even if you're not successful writing the applications is still mm. so important for your practice you you know you're articulating your ideas Absolutely. you're doing research you're getting closer to um to the to starting the the project. Totally. I think so much of my professional development has come from the writing of grant applications, even though they're unsuccessful. It's, yeah, putting together that research and being able to pitch it and making mm. it make sense in your own, well, oh, clarifying it. You know, and, and be able to articulate it. Mm, it really and then forces you to be able to, you know, see it and encapsulate it all in, 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 a, in writing. And so. then being able to, like, look at your images of your work and kind of curate a, um, you know, presentation, a PDF or whatever it is of work that supports that makes you really kind of delve and reflect on your own practice and what you have been doing um and just to kind of follow on from that I think as an artist you put out so many applications but often you will get thousands back that just say and you like scan for the unfortunately yeah 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 there it is damn it um <laughs> but I would say on that just from some experiences just because especially when it's for having exhibitions the people that read that they're still reading it and so they're starting to get a gather an idea of what your practice is Mm. and what it looks like yeah and that might be unfortunately that time but it might also mean that they'll keep you in mind for something else or when you get introduced to them they'll be familiar with what your practice is and um yes sometimes it feels futile but well on that on that note as a response to that which is really interesting is that yeah don't be disheartened because Mm. you might just apply that next time and and you know because those people are aware of your practice and they've seen the development from six months previously you will maybe get a look in yeah I mean yeah I think I have yeah I have maybe I put in 10 to 20 applications a year and might get one back yeah, <laughs> or two mm-hmm. back that are successful. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is hard not to be upset. But if you're, yeah, if you, if you don't look at it like a negative thing mm. and you get some feedback and you just keep trucking on, you know, you will get, you will have success at some point, I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know. Um, and, oh, there was something else I wanted to say. I think while you kind of gather that thought, I think um, we um, have kind of brought this up before, but not attaching so much worth to the, um, your self-worth to the project so that when you get a rejection Mm -hmm. that you're not feeling as um, rejected as the actual 
proposal yeah. and yeah. being mm-hmm. able to kind of protect yourself that way so that you're um, learning to separate where you are and where your practice is so that you're not just kind of crushed each time you get a rejection and, letter. And somehow somehow creating work or getting work out there that is um, uh, that is kind of um, propping you up, that's um, making you proud, that's, you know, not relying on an Ozco grant mm. to make your whole practice viable mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. you may never mm-hmm. get one too. So you've got to <laughs> sort of somehow work it out. Mm-hmm. And there is so many other um, avenues these days to fund yeah. projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. You're currently working on a really large project um, that will be exhibited at the substation in Newport and um, it is a really large extensive project filled with research that you've been doing and residencies. Can you kind of uh, talk us through what the process of working on such a large-scale project looks like? Yeah, sure. Um, So I suppose it's been uh, 18 months in um, development um, and it started with uh, an invite to do a residency at the substation uh, in 2017 and they kind of invited me to come in um, for a month-long residency and uh, come up with some concepts for a site-specific work or works. Um, and during that residency, um, I mean, I love the I love the substation so much. It's such an unusual space. Um, it's obviously an old substation, very raw um, gallery space. Some of the spaces are extremely raw and um, are really non-traditional and that's kind of what I love. It's like classic Yandel. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Um, I think back in 2009 or even earlier when the substation opened up as a multi-arts space, they, I think they did like a series of curated exhibitions over three months Mm -hmm. um, and I was invited as one of those artists uh, and I, yeah, I was like, I wet my pants over the space. It was so great. And I um, created an installation that was kind of underneath, uh, <laughs> underneath inside mm-hmm. the, you know, floor, uh, inside the architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping to create another work that's mm-hmm. in one of those spaces as mm-hmm. well. Great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yes, I um, uh, developed concepts over the month responding to the spaces. And then um, I did a residency um, in Berlin where I focused on developing my practice uh, using new technologies. That was really important to really push the boundaries of my work, um, specifically with 3D printing, scanning and printing. Um, That was over three months. And then I came back and did, and I was producing um, work with an animator, one of the works. So I'm creating four site responsive works. And one of them's, working with an animator and sound artist. And then I was doing another residency at Substation. This residency really was to bring projectors in and test the work. So what's working, what's not working. Um, Meeting the animator on site, meeting the sound artist on site, meeting, you know, other people, getting feedback, all that sort of stuff. Um, Mm. Meanwhile, throughout that whole year, I was applying for about 10 funding applications mm-hmm. one mm. of them came through no maybe a few more <laughs> so, um, and then um, more recently I um, developed a fundraising campaign because I didn't have enough funding for the presentation mm-hmm. of the work mm-hmm. so I've uh, sort of um, developed my first fundraising camp- campaign through ACF which um, has been great and then, yeah, sort of um, working with the animator, sound designer, on shoot, um, you know, on site shooting for mm-hmm. this for a tree work. Um, yeah. Mm. And then back, I'll install um, in April o- over two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm also re- a lot of research, researching the technology that's going to play like a four channel immersive in- installation. Um, 
and in sync with sound, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Is there um, someone that you kind of go to for like different technologies, or is there relationships that you've built with people that have allowed you to kind of learn and keep um, up to date with what is currently coming out? And yeah, I mean that you know my job at NGV really yeah. allows for that. So every time I'm working, I'm asking the you know the people I work with. Mm. Um, what would you do if you were me? <laughs> okay, how would you do it the cheapest? All right, what if I don't have da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's interesting because I haven't received the funding that I need for the presentation, I am looking, yeah, it's 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 hard. It's like I can't afford to um, buy any more technology to present this work. So I have to utilise somehow what I've got, mm-hmm. which might mean upgrading you know, um, older Mac minis, stuff like that. So I'm just trying to work all that out now. Mm-hmm. Or what can I borrow from people? Yeah. Um, it needs to, you know, with this sort of stuff, it's a six-week exhibition. It needs to also be, um, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, stable. Yeah. It needs to also be stable. Yeah, it's not putting it up for a night and taking yeah. it down. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Which is really hard with technology, yeah. you know. With no money, actually. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's all working out great. Cool. Yeah. Great. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the process of uh, working through your first kind of um, fundraising campaign? Yes. So I originally contacted the Australian Cultural Fund um, that is a platform for fundraising for fundraising campaign that can offer donors tax deductible donations mm-hmm. um, that then get filtered into your project and they take a small um, admin fee, I think 5% or something. Um, so basically I uh, unfortunately didn't get um, presentation funding through um, uh, federal or state funding. So um, I contacted ACF and just before Christmas um, put out my first fundraising campaign, which was quite quite daunting in terms of um, working out, uh, how, you know, how to do it. They gave me a lot of support, but it was just more daunting. How am I going to film myself, really? Mm-hmm. But it was awesome because I chose to fi- try and film myself by my by myself. So with no one no one helping me, mm-hmm. which was kind of hard even to get mm-hmm. the focus. Mm-hmm. But once I got the focus. It was better because um, I felt more comfortable in mm. front of the camera with no one else, um, yeah, with no one else kind mm. of in the space. And I downloaded an, a teletext, teletext, a teletext oh. app for my mm. iPad mm. and had that mm-hmm. just above the, um, uh, just above the camera mm-hmm. recording, mm-hmm. and it was so easy. It was so much easier than having someone there trying to prompt me. It really was just, you know, everyone works differently. Mm -hmm. So it was good. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I edited that and I just quickly did it and ended up looking fine. So, um, yeah, I've had help. um, Yeah, sort of. With ACF, do they, um, is it kind of like possible, do you have to reach your end target to get the funding? No. So you get all the funding that you that you um that people play yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, what a fantastic resource yeah so it's been good I mean it's a lot of effort but it is also great because you know like I'm think I'm 36 percent towards the 9,000 that I was asking and you know that every single cent is going to go into the presentation Mm -hmm. costs Mm -hmm. and not out of my credit card Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's (laughs) you know that's amazing thanks everyone yeah yeah so because yeah it, it is hard to mm-hmm. to secure other funding sometimes. So yeah, absolutely, you know, mm. and this is this you know I feel like this exhibition is for such a good cause. You know, it's talking about climate change. It's talking about issues that we all are concerned with. Mm-hmm. So you know, hopefully people feel more inclined to support. Yeah, I suppose. absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think that your um, this podcast will come out after your the finish, finish date. Right. So uh, <laughs> I still encourage everyone to go um, and see the exhibition and and also maybe take note to, like, if you can support other people's practices um, in whatever way that is. Maybe it's just even buying someone a coffee one day and asking how they're going. But it's a really nice thing to be able to support another person's practice um, because then you have the opportunity to go and see what your money's actually going to help 
facilitate as well. Definitely, definitely. Mm. Um, what's the dates for those uh, for that exhibition, Yandel? Um, the dates for Shifting Surrounds uh, that is part of Art Past Climate Equals Change Festival is May the 4th to June the 15th. Fantastic. Great. Get along. Yeah. And if people want to come and or find you on another platform, what, um, your website is? YandelWalton.com. Fantastic. And you're on Instagram as well? Yes. Yandel Great. Walton, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, yeah, I think that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, thank you so much for coming along today. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thanks for coming. All of that. And um, I'll, I'll also keep your eye out for Yandel's masterclasses as well that pop up. Frequently you do them through different um, city councils and um, different platforms and they're amazing and a huge resource for other people who are interested in working in the public um, sphere as well as using technology such as projection. So, yeah. Definitely. And they're always, yeah, if you tap into my Instagram, I'm always promoting those. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you again. Great, thanks. Bye. (laughs) This episode is recorded on the sovereign land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for listening to ProPrac. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can stay up to date with what we're up to on Instagram at ProPracPodcast or send us an email at propracpod at gmail.com.